0: very warm welcome to you all, my name's Chris Oakley Oh damn,
1: I had a joke for this, I thought about this the other day <laughs> What was I going to say? Bollocks, it was related to something in the last podcast Ah, oh, this is so annoying Anyway, I, who are you? Uh, I'm Rich Johnson, um, for now <laughs> Make and, yourself Until known. I remember what the joke was that I was going to do um, Whatever it was, what? it won't have been worth it now <laughs> 40 <laughs> seconds later what?
0: If if you remember it, let me know, and then
1: we'll just kind of go back. And then well, well, what I'll do it I'll... is, as usual, I'll just blurt <laughs> it out randomly. No, I won't do that. I'll just blurt it out randomly, probably when you're talking.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> no, you probably will. Yep. Um, um, anyway, what was that? Oh, yes, that's
0: right. Yes, this is episode five of the Football Attic Rewind, sponsored by Anton Berg Danish Chocolate. <laughs> um, as you'd expect by now, We're here to discuss the things we observed from an old episode of Match of the Day, The Big Match, or something not dissimilar, ensuring that no detail is too small or irrelevant. Today's episode sees us heading back 36 years to review an episode of the BBC's Match of the Day that was originally broadcast on Saturday the 2nd of February 1985. We'll be jumping into the football attic time cupboard very shortly, but we can't do anything on this podcast until we've checked in with my associate in the attic, Rich Johnson. Rich, how have you been since last we spoke? As if I need ask.
1: Uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, I got COVID, so my life's been a blast. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been really fun. I've had the plague. Um, I've had to have a bell around my neck saying unclean. (laughs) Um, I've been shunned by the local populace who keep trying to attack me with pitchforks. Um, (laughs) And I've got bolts through my neck. Wait, no, that's a different story, isn't it? Uh, uh, that's. That Sorry, everyone. That's Frankenstein. It's not the monster. It's <laughs> Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein <laughs> had the <laughs> bolts isn't it No, it's the monster, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm very sorry to hear you've had COVID because it's obviously not the not the nicest thing in the world and um, you've lost all your... I was going to say you've lost your sense of taste, but I've Yay. seen your football shirt book. So,
1: Well, um. yes, you're not the first person to make that <laughs> joke. Ha ha, very funny. Yeah. <laughs> 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 sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'd like to <laughs> put out I still have COVID while we're recording this. So you'll have to excuse if there's any kind of horrible sort of snortling noises. <laughs> snortling? That's not a word. It is now. <laughs> it is now, folks. Um, yes, if there's any horrible coughing sounds or dying sounds that's just me you know milking it big time um (coughs) but yes so uh yes i've not been very well so um all sympathy for me and how are you chris um i'm not too bad thank you very much um uh, so far avoiding uh
0: covid although it has to be said uh since the last podcast um here in new zealand a we went into lockdown for a couple of weeks um three weeks actually really although we're now sort of coming out of that i'm pleased to say so we're getting back to some sort of normality uh, but b also i had a my, my first covid jab about a year and a half after the rest of the world so um <laughs> we got there in the end Um my second one is in october by which point i'm hoping that the whole thing will have blown over and it won't be a thing anymore really it'd be uh, probably that late in the day
1: well uh, but uh, yeah so that was that i was gonna that, say it should, that technically happened. it should have blown over here but um seemingly not <laughs> uh, indeed no Um,
0: And also, since the last podcast, um, I celebrated my 50th birthday, as if anybody cares, so there we are. I'm now really, actually, officially old.
1: Did you get half a telegram from the Queen?
0: (laughs) Didn't get bugger all, because we were in lockdown. I didn't didn't get no presents. Oh,
1: (laughs) Oh, bless you. But But then I
0: sort of thought, just, just as I was starting to feel sorry for myself, I thought, no, probably most of Britain were in lockdown during their birthday last year, so I don't think I'm on my own on this one. Did you get the incontinence pads I sent through? Yes, I've got those, and um, and the back straighteners, and you know, the posture correctors, and uh, thanks, but, and the slippers.
1: I mean, at least you can look to, forward to a whole new raft of adverts on Facebook now. <laughs> well, it's funny that, because I remember I, I was listening to a podcast, somebody's podcast,
0: ooh, a few months ago, and one of the presenters on it turned 50, and he said, ever since my 50th birthday, all I get on Facebook now are adverts for you know, funeral plans and, and God knows what else. It is as if the algorithm has clicked over and gone, oh, he's 50 now, right? A whole new st- yeah, range of stuff to send him. And I haven't really
1: had any of that yet. 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 I mean, we're only a few weeks in, but... Life insurance, uh, sort of lucky. funeral plans and Viagra. Yeah. I, I assume. mean, you know, could, could do with the latter, but I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> uh, allegedly, allegedly.
0: Um, but uh, no, so far... I'm sort of quite enjoying being in my 50s, and it
1: really sounds a bit odd saying that, because it's, it's never happened to me before. You'll not be surprised to hear. Well, at least yes. at least you made it, Chris. I might not make it yet. I might. This could be my last ever podcast. <laughs> Let's, I don't know,
0: I, I'm really sincerely hoping that's not the case. I'm, and, yeah, I'm pretty sure it won't. I'll try not to make you laugh too much, so you don't <laughs> keel over.
1: over. yeah. Live podcast death. There'd be a first. <laughs> the snuff episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Football attic <clears throat> snuff <laughs> oh, That's a whole new avenue We could go down anyway, Well not. That,
0: that, that doesn't get us a million and a half Subscribers in nothing <laughs> um, Anyway it's, it's very nearly time to button up Our Levi 501s and pour ourselves A glass of that fizzy Perrier water Everyone's talking about but first Let's get into the Football Attic time cupboard and head back to the point at which our episode of Match of the Day was first broadcast. Early February 1985. Rich, this was about uh, a year before you discovered the beautiful game yeah. we call football. But what would have been going on in your life around this
1: time, do Ooh, Oh, so I was nine because I wasn't yet ten. That was later in the month. Um, ah. Uh, I'm trying to think, really. 85. What happened in 85? Um... I was still at primary school, and it, I was in my probably penultimate year, I guess. Um, so mm-hmm. nothing particularly exciting. Um, I think, yeah, can't really remember much it was about sort of it. Of BMX eighty five was one of
0: those sort of nothingy years, wasn't it? Really,
1: it's just, I don't know. Yeah, what I'm it is about I, I, mean, I remember some of the music, but yeah, I mean, I like. I mean, I you know watch a lot of these sort of nostalgia programs, looking back and. I think what happened in '85. I'm sure there must have been something major in '85. Hang on, wasn't '85? No, yeah, what, what was that? Was that Heysel? That was '85, and Bradford, wasn't it? Yeah, that yeah.
0: Was. So, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you some of the things that were going on around oh, this time. Just in so general you were teasing sense, but, uh, me.
1: You've got it all written down. You were just testing me, see if I could remember any of this crap, and I can't. I'm ill. I'm ill. I've got COVID, Chris. I might <laughs> die. <laughs>
0: The question was, what was going on in your life, not in everyone's life? Well, I your shared my life
1: with everybody around. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, d- I can't remember. I really can't. I t- Remind me of what was going on in the world in eighty five. Hang on, where, where did I go on holiday? Oh, Newquay. Went on holiday Newkey. to Newquay in 1985, um, where it rained solidly every single day that we were there. Not that we were that bothered, because... Um, we, the hotel we had was the first year we'd actually had a hotel with a pool so me Ooh. and my brother and a couple of the other kids in the, in the hotel um, uh, we sort of spent most spastic. of our time playing around in the pool uh, I would have been about 13
0: and a half at this point my my calculations um, I was in my first year of attending Eastbury comprehensive school which was split across two sites there was sort of two like the in the last five years of schooling for your first two of those years, it was at the lower school in one place, and then the upper school for the last three years was somewhere else. And so um, which was kind of an odd thing because the two schools, the two sites were like about three miles away. So I like, well, just have a big school on one site. Anyway, sorry, uh, lost it there for a minute. Um, but so I was at uh, – I was in my first year at Eastbury Upper School. That's where I was. And I just remember – yeah, it was one of those periods where nothing much seemed to be happening in my life, really. But I just remember the walk to that school every morning. It was like about a mile and a half walk, and which would have been like long and arduous for my little legs back then. But um, I used to walk to school with my mates, Jason and Alan, who are getting more mentioned on this podcast with every passing month. La- on the last episode, I was saying about how we used to run around the playground pretending to be Starsky and Hutch. Plus one, um, and um, yeah, and in this episode uh, we're a few years older, and yeah, we, were, we used to just walk walk to school, mile and a half, and just jabbering away, chatting about football and stuff, and computer games probably, and all sorts of other things. So that's about the only thing I can remember. I think I st- I may have still been playing Subutio just about at this point. Uh, I was definitely playing Subutio in '84, uh, so I might have just about still been playing that, and certainly collecting Panini stickers so that's about all you need to know there's nothing else of any great import I don't think that was going on in my life at that point
1: I'd have probably been collecting yeah. Transformers panini stickers at this point I think Transformers, Transformers. was out by this point I know the uh, <laughs> I know the movie was like December 86 so that's like a long time afterwards but I'm sure Transformers was on the telly by now mm. more than likely I think yeah
0: can I just go <coughs> and see if anybody knows what that sound effect is and if you don't i will just
1: that's the sound of your joints mate when you stand up <laughs> Now that's that's a sound you've been making with COVID trying to clear your throat. So, uh, gross.
0: Uh, so, <laughs> uh, there's all sorts of COVID jokes I could probably make if I really wanted to make the effort and I'm not going to because I'm better than that. You are. Anyway. Oh I am, I am. Anyway, um if you're one of our more devoted listeners, you'll know that I simply have to have some sort of computer system that can feed me with all the information I need during this podcast. And for this episode, I am proud, nay, excited to say that I've bought the computer I owned when I was a child. In fact, I probably had this computer when this episode of Match of the Day was on. Uh, so, yes, I'm pleased to say, folks, I've got me a Sinclair Spectrum 48K.
1: Uh,
0: what can I tell you about the good old Speccy you don't already know? I mean, it's, it's got 40 rubber keys, it's got 48K of RAM, 16K of computing power, but most importantly of all, it can play Kevin Tom's Football Manager. It's great. It's great. Great, it's the only computer to have really It's very apt for this week as well It is very apt for this week At time of recording, yes uh, For reasons we'll come on to shortly Um, But uh, with cassette recorder plugged in It's time to type Load, open speech marks Attic Rewind, episode 5 Close speech marks (laughs) And find out what life was like On February 2nd, 1985 Well, at this point, the total number of unemployed in the UK was 3.3 million. The month before this episode of Match of the Day, Sir Clive Sinclair, the late Sir Clive Sinclair, launched his electrically-assisted pedal cycle, the C5. Those who bought the new micro vehicle found themselves frustrated and disappointed by its slowness and impracticality, despite knowing in advance that it ran off a 12-volt battery and had a luggage compartment barely big enough to store a packet of quavers. Despite being a commercial failure at the time, many people have since gone on to buy the C5 as a cult classic piece of design, and even made their own customised improvements to increase its value, like fitting a handle to the boot so you can push it more easily when it conks out.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like going back to Skoda and larder jokes. Like I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just recycled Jasper Carrot's old gags. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. I loved the C5 when it came out. I mean, I was, I was young yes. so... But I thought it was Ace. You know, it, was, it yeah. looked really cool. I actually made a Lego one, which actually, ironically, went oh, faster wow. than the real things. <laughs> uh, it had a washing machine motor, didn't it? That was the sort of I thing at the so. time. I believe so. But it didn't have a drying cycle. <laughs> <laughs> my In 86, my mate Craig East... Hello, Craig, if you happen to be
0: listening. No, you're not. Um, he lived just... A uh, short distance away from this big sort of haulage depot place. Um, and I remember going around to his house one day and we were, went over the back of his sort of back garden. There was this big field, big area of grass, and we were kicking a football around. And as we were playing football, I noticed in the distance this haulage depot, and there were all these articulated trucks parked in it in the car park. And in amongst them were all these C5s. And it was the first time I'd ever seen any, like one of the uh, first time I'd ever seen a C5 in real life. and. I had this strange urge to want to scale the perimeter fence and get in there and actually sort of sneakily drive one away and, and claim it for myself. But not that I actually did, because I wasn't very good at climbing fences. But just seeing one in real life, I mean, the buzz of seeing this vehicle, it was like a dream as
1: a kid to, to have one of those. I loved them. I, I did want one. But I just remember immediately they were kind of on the news as being dangerous, and it showed people mm. going under the wheels of lorries and, <laughs> you know... Sitting yeah. in traffic with fumes in their face and everything. Indeed. In fact, probably those articulated trucks I was saying about, they probably had the C5
0: jammed under its wheels. Maybe that's what <laughs> I was seeing. Um, the day before this episode of Match of the Day, TVAM was celebrating its second birthday. Five days after this, the USA for Africa single, We Are the World, was released. It went on to sell over 20 million copies, and to date is still the eighth biggest selling record of all time. Uh, do they know it's Christmas was still in the charts at this point? Number 19 was on its way down after being the Christmas number one in 84. And 17 days after this episode of Match of the Day, the BBC broadcast the first episode of its always cheerful soap opera, EastEnders, uh, which, uh, I mean, you've already mentioned the C5. Any any uh, other bits of news and stuff from there, Rich, that sort of caught your eye?
1: Were you dancing away to USA for Africa? Uh, no, it was a terrible song. But, um <laughs> I mean, Band Aid for all its kind of questionable lyrics and sentiment nowadays. You know, it was still a much better song. Mm. Um, yes. We are the world was such a dirge, and it was it was <laughs> typical American as well. It was like kind of you know yeah. we're gonna heal everything, and you know. Blah, blah.
0: Um, and the video of all these stars kind of holding one side of their headphones up to their
1: ear. And, yeah, where was Jarvis Cocker when he needed him? <laughs> <laughs> About 10 years in the future, in fact. Dan Aykroyd was amongst that group, and you sort of go, why was
0: he there? What, he wasn't a singer. Was He just had to be passing by, and someone says, oh, come in,
1: we're, we're singing a song. Well, he was in the Blues Brothers, wasn't he? So Yes, oh, I don't, you know, and maybe not he not at all. Maybe he was singing that, then, you know... <laughs> and they just turn his mic down. <laughs> <laughs> so what was on the box on this
0: day? Well, on BBC One, you could have seen Saturday Superstore with guest Norris McWorter. Uh, you could have seen Grandstand, Doctor Who with Colin Baker as the Doctor. Jim Will Fix It, uh, moving on. The Little and
1: Large <laughs> Show and Dynasty. Hang on, Jim Will Fix It was The Little and Large Show, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry, oh done that joke before, I think. <laughs> I- <laughs>
0: Um, on BBC Two on this day, there was the Betty Davis and Betty Davis, I should say. I'll say that again. There was the Betty Davis and Fred Astaire film, Old Acquaintance, international snooker, and the World Skiing Championships uh, on ITV. Was that, was that the seen, same event? I suspect it may have been. Yes, Fred uh, Astaire doing while the going downhill. men's downhill, <laughs>
1: <laughs> putting
0: a few reds on his way down a hillside. Um, on ITV on this day, you could have seen the A team. All Star Secrets, which was a sort of celebrity panel show hosted by Michael Parkinson, uh, The Price Is Right, T.J. Hooker, Asborn Company, and Alfie Zane Pet. And on Channel Four on this day, like many other days, you could have seen Brookside and Hill Street Blues. Uh, which of those programmes would have taken your fancy, there, Rich?
1: A team, obviously, Hooray! and T.J. Hooker. Um, T.J. Hooker, yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look back on them now. That two very badly acted programs, <laughs> especially Hooker. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. That uh, shows d- the. I remember Asplund Companies. As well, I didn't realise that was started in eighty five. Um, it's funny mm. actually when you look back at all these shows and you think, you think, oh, I remember them as being like the late eighties, and then you look and they started in like eighty four. You think, did they really? How mm. how the mind plays tricks. Um, Indeed. Yes. I F- just want
0: to say. So I was just going to say, I just want to say something that amuses me and probably nobody else is here in New Zealand, in the particular part of New Zealand I live in, there's an estate agent not far from where I live. And the name of the estate agent is LJ Hooker. <laughs> and I expect to keep seeing like William Shatner coming around to do an evaluation. And, you
1: know,
0: it's, and I don't think anybody else would, would know the reference if I tried to make a joke about that. So I thought I'd do it on this podcast. It might reach a wider audience. This house has woodwork. <laughs> Ah oh, yes, superb. <laughs> ah, well now everyone, it's time for our new feature. Where's Brucey?
1: Hey, <laughs> 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 Brucey. <laughs> <laughs> this is the theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, crust. <laughs> Where am cons- I it's children? Really. Can you find me No you can't. <laughs> yeah.
0: I can tell you that at this point in 1985, Brucey had just finished a run of his ITV game show, Play Your Cards Right. Is this higher
1: than an ace <laughs> my my higher than an ace, yes. <laughs> Tripping balls. <laughs>
0: But, but the previous month, he'd appeared on an episode of BBC's Pro Celebrity Golf. Well, what would you expect? And. Uh, holy <laughs> one.
1: <laughs> uh, driving off the tee. Uh, uh, look at my caddies. Very lovely <laughs> chap. <laughs> oh,
0: um, God. And also, around about this time, he was appearing at Blazers in Windsor uh, on the cabaret circuit uh, just a couple of weeks after this. Um, but that's about all. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Where's Brucie? Join us next time uh, for another episode, but until then, it's goodbye to you all. I bet you can't find me next time. (laughs) (laughs) This is bloody difficult trying to find out where he
1: was. (laughs) Marvellous. Definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. I love that. (laughs) In fact, we should just do an hour of that instead. That's right. It's an hour of terrible <laughs> Bruce Forsyth <before-side> impressions. <laughs> yeah. it's,
0: it's what the internet wants. <laughs>
1: it's our public demands it.
0: <laughs> now then, at the movies around this time, you could have seen Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills Cop,
1: and Gremlins. I've saw. I've seen two of those three. Have you? How many of those have you seen? Uh, I have seen two of those. I've never seen Beverly Hills Cop. Um, You've not ah. Oh, I've never seen Gremlins. Although. In 1985, in Newquay, because it was raining all the time, we went to the cinema one night to watch Starman, which... Starman? Have you not seen Starman? It's got Jeff Bridges in it. So. It's it's in, He's an alien. Oh, yeah. And there's the classic line, I gave you a baby tonight. This <laughs> sounds a bit like a short snigger, but he did. Um... Yeah, uh, and in the interval, because this is back in the day when Sid, when they stopped the film halfway through, for like an ice yes. cream interval, they played in Axel F um, on the sound system. What a system tune. In the, exactly. By, and who did Axel F? Harold Faltermeyer. He did. For two points, yes. Mm, two the points. very well done to you. <laughs> <laughs> Go away, Brucey. We've done your bit. Oh, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> back in the box. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it's dark in here. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to get in the box. <laughs> um,
0: yes, um, in the charts at this time, the UK number one single was "I Want to Know What Love Is" by Foreigner, and improbably they also had the number one album, which was Agent
1: Provocateur, which I've never heard of and no, don't normally. intend
0: looking for on YouTube.
1: I know the song, the uh, "I Want to Know What Love Is," but I, I couldn't tell you anything. I couldn't have told you it was by Foreigner yeah. or you know anything else about them
0: <laughs> no indeed uh the sooner we pass on from that the better i think um on the front cover of your favorite footy magazines on uh, the front cover shoot we had ian Boyer of nottingham forest and ricky hill of luton town inside you would have got the scotland and coventry city team pictures hurrah uh, on the front cover of world soccer magazine for february 1985 was a fellow called jose percudani no me neither uh, he played for Independiente, who had beaten Liverpool in the 1984 Intercontinental Cup Final in Tokyo the
1: previous December. Did you ever see any of those sort of Intercontinental Cup Finals or World Club Finals? No, when they were? I mean, I don't even remember them being covered much, really. It was kind of, um, it was like a kind of forerunner for the, the Club World Cup, wasn't it? That's it, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And it was always in Tokyo for it was, some yeah. bizarre reason. There was actually, just on a completely random note, um, and I don't know why this just pops into my head, there was a tournament once, I think it was called the Kirin Cup, um, and it had three teams in it, and all the matches ended nil-nil, and it was a league (laughs) format. That's right. So they had to sort of like, I kind of remember how they decided who won, I think they didn't, I think they just all went home in shame.
0: (laughs) Somebody told me about that ages ago. So, literally, the, 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 that the, quite the
1: table was completely equal. No goal scored, <laughs> no one goes against, everyone got three points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes um, I remember
0: when I was a kid uh, I think Liverpool played in one against Flamengo I think it was it would have been about 81 or 82 and they had it on World of Sport live which they never had live football in World of Sport but because it was the time difference in Japan it <coughs> meant it, they could sort of show it in the middle of the day on a Saturday afternoon Ooh. big big deal that was um, not the Liverpool one which was a bit of a disappointment but there we are Um In football news, um, going into the 2nd of February eighty-five, Everton had a two-point lead at the top of Division 1 in the Cannon Football League. Tottenham were second, six points ahead of Man United and Sheffield Wednesday. At the bottom of the table, Stoke City were nine points adrift and already looking like relegation certainties, with Luton and Ipswich making up the rest of the bottom three. And Rich, Coventry City at this point
1: were one place above the relegation zone. Yeah, I know. (laughs) perennial sort of relegation struggles as we were in the 80s yes until 87 until until 87
0: (laughs) elsewhere Blackburn were top of the second division that wouldn't last Bradford City were at the top of the third division which is where they would be at the end of the season and Berry were at the top of the fourth division that wouldn't last either mind you neither did they so that's a bit of a shame um (laughs) Over the border in Scotland, Aberdeen were at the top of the as-yet-unsponsored Scottish League Premier Division, a whopping eight points ahead of Celtic. Here's a quiz question for you, Rich. Um, when the Scottish League did get a sponsor the following season, who was it? Was it Skull? No. Good No,
1: good oh, They sponsored try. the Cup, didn't they? Oh, that's right. It was a Cup, cup. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The Skull Cup, which looked like a tankard, funnily enough. <laughs> oh, who sponsored it? I'm trying to think now. I know, um, this had me
0: going. I couldn't remember either.
1: Um, was it um, Taggart?
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't Iron Brew either before you said it. <laughs> Damn it.
1: Uh, that was my other go-to answer. Uh, was it heart disease?
0: <laughs> the cirrhosis of the liver Deep-fried foundation. Mars
1: bars. <laughs> oh dear.
0: Uh, no, it was the Fine Haggis. Fair
1: Fine Fair Supermarkets. Oh God. No, fine Fair Premier League. It. I know it didn't last remember long. them, but, but Yeah, I don't think... Really, that's a really strange one. Who took over after that? Uh, That's a good question. I'll come back to you on that. (laughs) We'll cover that in an episode of 1986. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. Um,
0: Amid much speculation at the time, Charlie Nicholas was said to be on the verge of being sold by Arsenal after a poor run of form same was being said about Arsenal's Tony Woodcock. In fact, Arsenal seemed to be something of a club in crisis at this point as they'd been knocked out of the FA Cup by York City the week before this. As it is, Charlie Nicholas stayed at Arsenal for another three years while Tony Woodcock ended up getting a serious injury a month after this episode and with the arrival of George Graham soon after, his days at Arsenal were numbered. Uh, Do you remember... um, I was just going to say a fun fact I discovered in the research here. Tony Woodcock... Was the last player to score a goal in the British Home Championships? You can have that. Tell your <laughs> mates that one down the pub next time you go down the pub.
1: Oh yeah, I'm keeping that in the memory bank. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see much of the old British Home
0: Championship? Rich, I have vague memories of it, but.
1: Um. Well, I don't know because I, I think I mean I remember they used to have like the Rouse Cup. But that seemed to be more just England and Scotland playing for yes, that. Exactly um, and that, that obviously ended in the late 80s after hooliganism and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I, no, I don't really remember the, the actual British home counties or whatever it was called. <laughs> Into counties <laughs> basket weaving. <laughs> yeah, Kent and Somerset playing <laughs> off.
0: <laughs> I, I think it was quite big in the late 70s and stuff, like when Scotland invaded the pitch at Wembley and stuff. But oh, yeah. then it sort of i think people realized that it'd be nice to play other teams not just the the other british teams really all right then nostalgia lovers that was february 85 it's time now to rewind and watch match of the day and don't forget if you want to see what this episode was like you'll find it on youtube or else look for the links that uh, we've helpfully provided wherever you downloaded this podcast <laughs> And once again, it's time for Barry Stoller's Match of the Day theme tune and it accompanies a title sequence that includes snippets of goals being scored along with Mick Mills blowing someone a kiss, a TV cameraman revolving on a pitch-side platform and lettering saying BBC Television presents Match of the Day in a white and pink typeface on a blue background. There's lots of glowing and flashing lines and
1: it's all very mid-80s in style. Do you remember that title sequence, Rich? I don't really know. Um... Uh, I, I can't remember when I actually started watching Match of the Day. But, I mean, considering all the other ones that we've been seeing in this series, like the, the big match and stuff, I've just made the note of, like, Colours! <laughs> <Because> <laughs> yeah. There's well, s- all the colours. <clears throat> I mean, this is typical <laughs> mid-'80s. I mean, it's yeah. literally like Neon City, because there's there's pink, blue, light blue, white, and teal as well. Yes.
0: Yeah, blue and pink were very hot at that time. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh yes, I mean, like even Doctor Who had gone neon by this point. You know? <laughs> um, best title sequence for Doctor Who ever that was, marvelous Beyond neon, the marvelous, <laughs> isn't it marvelous? Um, yeah, so there's a lot of color, and then they cut to the studio where yes. things beige, <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, I'd beige quite... with some nice louvre doors behind them. <laughs> Yes,
0: um, we, we see two men sitting behind a large desk, which looks not unlike the Ireland or breakfast bar in a Moban kitchen display from 35 years ago. The man on the left is David Anthony Gubber, and the man on the right is James William Thomas Hill. They sit in a, a beige-coloured set, as Richard said, uh, the centrepiece of which is a TV screen that displays the programme's logo behind them. Jimmy Hill, our main presenter, still three years off relinquishing his role to Des Lynam, is wearing a medium grey jacket and diagonally striped tie in three grey tones. The last time we saw him was in episode two of the Football Attic Rewind, where we saw him present the 1987 edition of Match of the Day, and on that occasion, he looked more or less the same as he does here, only with the first signs of grey appearing in his hair. Uh, In this episode, his hair is very much with its original brown hue, although his moustache is already starting to give in to the ravages of time. Um... Tony Gubba replacing Bob Wilson. What are, we, what are we thinking about that?
1: Well, is it Tony Gubber, though? Because we don't know. <laughs> because they don't announce it anywhere. No. At any point. <laughs> even even later in the thing. I mean, he literally just cuts straight over to him. Doesn't say... Because it says at the start, presented by Jimmy, Jimmy Hill. Hill, yeah. And then Jimmy Hill's talking. And then he goes over to Tony. But he doesn't say Tony. He just says... He just doesn't say anything. He yeah. just cuts to Tony Gubba who's sitting there doesn't say his name on the screen doesn't say who he is and then even when he cut to him later in the programme he just says Tony so (laughs) as far as we know it's just a guy called Tony we don't know who he is you know I'm I'm assuming it showed it on the credits but actually this particular episode didn't have the credits on so so yeah as far as we know it's not Tony Gobba. it's just Tony from the pub (laughs) <laughs> they should have just put a caption up that just said, A man. <laughs> yeah, literally. Left, that. <laughs> left man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll discuss Tony Gabba shortly, but first of all, uh, Jimmy Hill introduces the programme and tells us that we'll first be seeing the favourites for the title,
1: Tottenham Hotspur, WTF. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Tottenham Did they finished third in a two-horse race again? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Tottenham are away to Luton Town uh, insert obligatory clip of a player from that match hitting the crossbar with a long range shot uh, followed by title holders Liverpool at up and keep on coming Sheffield Wednesday did you hear him say that? I had to rewind that about three times to hear what he yes. said yes he mangled it up, up and keep on coming Sheffield Wednesday um, insert second obligatory shot of a player hitting the bar with a long range shot they did that a lot, didn't they? In the in the kind of opening where Jimmy Hill previews what's coming up, they would find an exciting clip that wasn't one of the goals. Yes. Were, <laughs> and it's nearly always someone hitting a post or a crossbar.
1: <coughs> yeah, they don't want to give it away. No. Give it away
0: now. But... <laughs> they look away now. Uh, we're also promised a flash of action from Millwall, who are trying their hardest to get back into the second division. We then get our first proper sighting of the late Tony Gubber, a fresh-faced 41 years old at this, this time. Uh, he's wearing a light grey jacket, pale pink shirt and navy blue tie, all providing a delicate contrast to his balding pate and combed over gingery coloured hair. Um, so having seen A-Man slash Tony Gabber, uh do you think, if you know, comparing him to Bob Wilson, who we saw in the previous episode, who do we think might have done a better job of being Jimmy Hill's mate?
1: Um, I, I, there's not much to choose between them really. I always liked Bob Wilson, um, but I thought Tony Gubbber was all right. Um, yeah, I yeah, quite liked him. Um, old Tony from down the pub. Um, I'd just <laughs> like to apologise um, to any Spurs fans listening for making the joke about them finishing third in two horse race. Well, I would like to apologise, but they did finish third. <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice joke there. Yeah very <laughs> <Fred laughs> really nice asked them to let someone else have go uh, <laughs> was, to before you. anyone says it yeah before anyone else <laughs> says it Coventry avoided relegation that year they did uh, by finishing in the high position of 18th <laughs> uh, being one of three teams that escaped relegation on 50 points Whereas Norwich, who were the first team to get relegated, well, first as in going down the table, they got 49. So again, Coventry in its usual style of escaping with minimal fuss. In their customary position in the table. Yes, clinging on at the bottom, annoying everyone, and entertaining everyone with their dirge football. (laughs)
0: Tony Gubba gives us the news headlines from the day, telling us that Tony Woodcock walked out of Arsenal just before their game against Coventry, with Charlie Nicholas being dropped to the subs bench. He quotes Arsenal manager Don Howe as saying, They've not been consistent enough. Woodcock was disappointed, but now we'll see what he's made of. Well, given my earlier comment about Woodcock getting a serious injury the following month, I'm guessing Balsa Wood was probably the answer to that. It's then back to Jimmy Hill who eases us, eases us. I'll say that again, eases us into the first match at Kenilworth Road, where apparently Luton Town have been recently throwing money around like confetti, much like their free-spending opponents, Tottenham. Just how much has been spent by Luton soon becomes apparent as our commentator John Motson sets the scene for the first
1: match. Peter Nicholas makes his first appearance for Luton, who believe he could be the ball winner they've needed in midfield since the departure of Brian Horton. The arrival of Nicholas from the Crystal Palace.
0: Once again, we should inform you that the accompanying video on YouTube has been grabbed from Scandinavian Satellite TV, so the footage tends to occasionally pause for about half a second here and there. And as Rich alluded to earlier on, the, the uh, end titles are missing as well, so apologies for that. Hopefully all of that doesn't put you off too much, but as you'll appreciate, uh, it's uh, circumstances beyond our control. Anyway, Luton v Tottenham, Rich.
1: What do we make of this? The first thing I noticed was the fact that Kenilworth Road looks almost exactly the same as it does today. Yes. But not quite, because the Bobbers stand hadn't been replaced with the row of executive boxes at the moment. Um, uh-huh. One of the weirdest sort of um, stand replacements I've ever seen in football, because, I mean, Kenilworth Road is, is very small as it is, hmm. but that's because it's pretty much hemmed in by houses on all four sides Um, and you pretty much have to walk like almost through someone's garden to get into the ground (laughs) Um, but they had one stand running down one side of the ground um, which I mean to be fair it was only about 10 rows deep so it was very small but the year after this they actually replaced the whole thing with a row of executive boxes Hmm. and I don't know considering I mean the stand probably held about 2,000 people before so I don't know how, if they'd have made the money back for that, because I remember the executive boxes, there must have only been about 12 or 15 along the, the whole sort of pitch length. Hmm. And each one only had about like four seats outside. So I don't know if they'd have made their money back on that. And I t- it's, it always struck me as really weird. And it looked really strange as well, because it literally looked like someone stuck a load of Butlin chalets along the side of the, the pitch. Um yeah. But yeah, uh, but I love the fact that Kenilworth Road is still the same now. It's like, although another change that would come the following year it was the plastic pitch. It didn't have it at this point at Luton. Mm. Um, was although the pitch is looking bloody awful, so I can mm. kind of see why they might have changed it. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was nice to see. It was nice to see. Although I, mean, I made the note that the um, the because of the roughness of the pitch when they show kickoff. You can see the halfway line running across the pitch. Looks like it goes through about three or four different contour lines on an ordnance survey, because <laughs> yeah. it reaches different heights a lot. <laughs> I didn't spot that. I'll have to go back and look at it. Um, I forgot
0: what I was going to mention. Oh yeah, when was um, when did the hooligan stuff happen at Kenilworth Road with the match against
1: Millwall? Was that eighty six? I can't I, th- remember. I don't know. I th- um. Where they were ripping up the seats and throwing them on and stuff. Yeah, because yeah, then they tried to introduce the membership scheme, didn't they? With oh, like ID cards. Yes. And apparently, I think it was Luton. Uh, I think it was Luton where they introduced it. And someone poured sand into the machine the night before <laughs> that they were due to be used. And it rendered it completely useless. <laughs> and then for years, they sat under a shed. They just built a shed around the, the sort of entry box. Uh, I think that was Luton It might have been someone yeah. else that tried to do it um, <laughs> Yes <laughs> The 80s So John Motson tells us that Luton have acquired
0: Former Crystal Palace player Peter Nicholas This was his first game in a Luton shirt And he replaced Brian Horton Who went off to become player manager at Hull City So Luton's total spending For the previous two months reached a whopping Half a million pounds according to Motson Truly the vulgar side of modern football Who do we see We've got the lineups. Rich So our first chance To see who was on the pitch Uh, Any names that sort of Leapt off the screen For
1: you there No not really Again I wasn't really Paying much attention (laughs) (laughs) um, To the lineups Um, uh, Les Seely, I think was in goal Yes um, Before he went on To make his fortune In mattresses (laughs) Uh, Sorry that was a Seeley postupede Mattress (laughs) joke there (laughs) For all of those who remember such a thing. And it wasn't obviously Les Seely that did that. Um, but it was funny. Uh, you, you imagine
0: him because he's on his back most of the time, he probably would have been ideal for starting a mattress
1: company. No, sorry. <laughs> hey. hey. Um, <laughs> Brian Steen was there I think um I, I think it was Mark Steen actually was it Mark Steen? I was going, I know it was one of the Steens I didn't yeah. like I said, I didn't I just remember them saying his name during the match and I hadn't actually bothered to see which of the two it was no sorry you're right um, it was Brian Steen sorry I've, I did oh, there we go. I made a point of go. looking for it and it's on my notes Brian Steen there we go um. so mm, uh, let's see who was in oh Ricky Hill yeah was in Ricky Hill I just love that name Ricky Hill it just <laughs> I can hear <laughs> it being said by Jimmy well the weird thing is I can hear it being said by Jimmy Greaves uh-huh. Ricky Hill I don't know why I don't know if that's because of my, when they used to say Ricky Otto but um, <laughs> anyway those are random burblings from my head here uh, yeah there was uh, there was some I mean there's uh, Tottenham had lots of famous faces like, oh I mean, god yes yeah you know Ray Clements Glenn Hoddle yeah him golf Crooks oh yes they're all the Crooksy yeah Graham Roberts I know that because he scored the final goal (laughs) Um, yeah all the the Tottenham crew there we should we we should actually say um, RIP Jimmy
0: Greaves we just discovered literally just before we hit the record button that sadly Jimmy Greaves has passed away so um, our condolences to all concerned Uh, a great great shame that and a great loss uh, someone that we've discussed and indeed sort of uh, imitated in an impersonation form on many of previous podcasts. But um, one of the great figures of, of football uh, from days gone by. Um, but yes, uh, the Tottenham, yes, Glenn, Glenn Hoddle in the Tottenham team, um, one of the greatest midfielders in British football history. He spent 12 years at Spurs. He was still 18 months away from a move to Monaco at this point. He went on to become player manager at Swindon and Chelsea before taking charge of the England team. Between 1996 and 1999 A period in which England reached the 1998 World Cup Finals Shortly after that he controversially claimed that disabled people were being punished for the sins of a former life Something that he denied despite the fact that he'd expressed exactly that view on more than one occasion After that he went on to manage Southampton, Tottenham and Wolverhampton Wanderers And in 2018 suffered a near fatal heart attack When asked for his views on the matter, God replied, no comment Uh, (laughs) My favourite Glenn Hoddle quote is, uh, he said, when a player gets to 30, so does his body. I'll always remember that. That was a really profound
1: <laughs> comment. Uh, the wisdom of Glenn Hoddle.
0: Indeed so, yes. Um, Garth Crooks, as we know. Tottenham Stalwart, who, uh, amongst other things, went on to become a pundit on BBC TV and still is, as far
1: as I know. And a, and a worldwide country music star. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, indeed, yes. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> And my favourite Garth Crooks quote is, Michael Owen will get double figures this season, or at least ten, possibly more. Um, You can have that one for free as well. (laughs) And in the Luton team, you've got Steve Foster, Mick Harwood uh, Harwood? Harford, I should say, even. Get the name (laughs) right. Um, And a fella called Emika Anwar Joby, who gets mentioned a bit later on. We'll come on to him. Um, other than that, the referee is Neil Midgley of Salford in Lancashire. He was on the full list of approved referees in England and Wales between seventy-seven and ninety-two. He took charge of several high-profile matches during that time, including the nineteen eighty-five Milk Cup final and the
1: nineteen eighty-seven FA Cup final. Did you see that one, Rich? I was about to say. I thought I recognised the name Neil Midgley, <laughs> and I couldn't. I couldn't quite work out if it was from Mexico 86 or not. But when you were just saying it, just then kind I of thought, no, I'm sure he was the. Cup final ref, indeed he was. Very good ref he was too for that cup final. He was, he was generally widely admired, I think, in in retrospect, yeah. Um,
0: He was a FIFA referee between 82 and 91, and he took charge of several World Cup and European Championship qualifying matches between 1982 and 1990, and he died in 2001 at the age of 58. And so uh, the match begins, and we'll discuss what happened in that shortly in in summary form, but uh, let's discuss what we saw, Rich. Uh, First of all, the kits... Luton and Spurs, what do you make of the kits?
1: Well, Luton are wearing possibly their best kit ever, mm. um, which is their kind of classic mid-80s Adidas um, kit with a sort of navy v-neck with a bit of your orange trim on it. I much prefer Luton playing in white, which mm. is probably because they did when I first got into football. Yes. But I just love that kit, um, looking nice and sharp um, and up-to-date for the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Um and Tottenham, even though that shirt was quite a few years old, still looking very nice, because it was uh, the Lecoq Sportif uh, Pale blue. sort of shirt. Uh, you what, sorry? Pale blue. Yes, uh, with its sort of alternating shadow stripes. So mm. despite the fact that shirt, like I say, was actually quite a few years old, um, it still looked very modern, even by the mid-80s. Mm. So two very nice sets of kits and Indeed. shirts on show. Yes. I would. I mean, I, I I sort of nodded when you said
0: that's probably Luton's best kit, and then I remembered some of the nice ones I had in the late seventies, made by Adidas, and uh, where they had like sort of navy blue and white and orange stripes running down one side of the shirt. That might be possibly nudging it for best one ever for no, them, but uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> um, and nice tracksuit tops as well for Luton. I don't know if you saw those Adidas ones with a big sort of voxels sort of logo on one side. Yes, there. yes, nice, nice stuff. Uh, I think the ball was an Adidas Tango of some description. That was uh, was nice to see. Um, and I mean, here comes the, the moment you've all been waiting for. It's Scandinavian pitchside advertising board moment. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, the longer this goes on, the more I realise I must have been blind during my youth because I don't yeah. remember ever seeing so many Scandinavian
1: sponsors. I mean, I must no, have seen me. them. I mean, but I suppose, I suppose the thing is, you, the ones that stick in your mind are the ones you used to see, like, a, a, a big... And again, bearing in mind, football wasn't televised much. So hmm. you'd only really see... The only real sort of proper televised matches were, like, international tournaments and, and like, you know, European Cup finals. So you'd only see the big sponsors. So hmm. when you saw these ones at your local matches... They'd have just gone out of your head because mm. you wouldn't remember them because they weren't memorable enough. Um, so you'd always remember things like Esso and you know Castrol GTX because you were seeing them on telly as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's like for the the World Cup ones, you know, you remember Canon and Seiko and because they're big brands, and then other things like Metaxa and Barta Barta because because you saw them quite a lot at the World Cup. Mm. But for these smaller ones, they, you just they just wouldn't stick in your brain, <laughs> but. I've, I made a list of all the sponsors and the list itself is huge <laughs> I know there's so many sponsors bearing in mind I mean obviously Luton is a small ground but it's obviously the pitch is the same size mm-hmm. roughly but, but there's not many repeats that's why so mm. normally in a lot of these games you'd have the same sort of sponsor, like you'd have Esso at one end of the ground then another end of the ground but there's just virtually no repeats and Kenilworth Road has a ton of roof sponsors. <laughs> yes. So there's like literally double the amount of sponsors. It's brilliant. <laughs> so I, I made a list of pretty much every single one that I could read, and the list is a it's, it's huge.
0: Okay, well, I'll queue up the music of uh, Pomp and Circumstance. So, uh, Rich Johnson, if
1: you'd be so kind, please regale us with that list. Here we, and uh, coming in at number one, uh, the first one I saw was Max Manus, which I don't know what that was. I looked at Max Manus and the only thing I could find was he was a Norwegian resistance fighter <laughs> in World War Two. Yes, but I'm doubting oh. it's that. It does say on his Wikipedia page that he set his own company up doing
0: something or other. Uh, this Max Manus guy, and I don't know if this is the same company or not, but yes, <laughs> World War Two resistance fighter. That's yeah, what, you need I, that. I thought it you? was
1: quite cool. I thought it was quite cool to advertise. <laughs> yeah. You know. Random resistance fighters in, in football matches. <laughs> uh, you've got your obvious Bedford trucks and vans because obviously uh-huh. it's it's Luton. Uh, Wallspan, um, uh, Falcon beer. <coughs> yes. Your, your big hitters: Stanley Tools, Electrolux, and then you've got a Gillette advert, but it's it's specifically for the Gillette Contour, the best Gillette yet. <laughs> uh, Tilo Sauna, which I'm guessing might be Scandinavian. Yes. DFDS Tourline. Or Torline. Yes. I don't know what that is. Um, a freight shipping company, apparently. There we go. Eag or Eggy Carpets. <laughs> Sounds horrible. <laughs> Eggie. Uh, which is, I looked it up and they still going Danish Carpets. Yes. So there you go. Uh, Yankee Bar, which I think we've seen before. That's yes. Tom's Chocolate again. Uh, Rizzler, obviously. Akai, Thanks. Adidas, Canon. Quality Pulsar, which is finest Danish sausages. Um, <coughs> Uh, Mobira, I don't know what that is, uh, but I'm guessing that's. It sounds like some kind of tool company, but I don't know. Now it's a it's um, a it's a Finnish one phone could...
0: manufacturer who merged with Nokia in the end. I can tell you that.
1: Oh, there we go then. <laughs> of course, yes, obviously. <laughs> here's one that I I couldn't quite think if I'd read it properly, but I I did. Cloetta Center, and that's another ah, Tom's yes. chocolate bar. <laughs> yes, it's the um, Swedish
0: version of Rolo, apparently.
1: oh uh, right, there you go. So and um, Silver Solarium. Um, I've written Anthony Thingy again because I couldn't see the second one. It's Anthony Berg, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Vauxhall Opal, Blue Arrow Travel, Melka, which are Swedish clothes. HTH Cockner, which I'm guessing is foreign a f- Swedish
0: uh, furniture brand. Yes. There you go. Prips. Prips. <laughs> yes. Are. Uh, hang
1: on. Um, oh. Prips is a Swedish
0: lager brand.
1: There we go. Lejon or Lejon. That, that means lion
0: in Swedish but
1: I couldn't tell what the company was but that's oh uh, there we go that might be that might be like a lion bar then it might be to the Tom's chocolate thing uh, yes. Solara, Solara TV and video uh, <laughs> and then the last of the ones pitside is Myris Joe and they basically are a Swedish housing company that make houses a bit like the German Hoffhouse which are like oh. prefab type houses to the roof (laughs) so these are all the ones that are on the roof Uh, NS Fuchs which is a massive (laughs) sign above the goal I don't know what they are WebEx which I think were tyres Yes. Uh, then you've got one that says factory removals and next to it industrial labour that's that's all it says Uh, you've got Hackfield which is actually the the local Ford branch LRAM I don't know what that is Mm -hmm. Toshiba, we know what that is, yes. uh, Richmond Precision Engineering, which I'm sure have come up before, um, Goddard's Timber, Brian Hanscom, don't know what that is, uh, <laughs> something that looks like it says, Home of SFK UK Limited, don't know, Yeah, it, it was a that. big yeah. advert right and halfway, which looked like it had like a clock above it or something. Uh, rw unwin pharmacy whitbread best bitter aw removals and the infamous rbt electrics panel controls (laughs) well done sir there were a few more but i couldn't actually read them so
0: see there's the detail you're looking for everyone that's what we're doing on this (laughs) podcast brilliant (laughs) yes i don't think there were many there that i didn't I don't know if you mentioned there was Silja Line, which is a Finnish cruise ferry brand. You, you may have said that one. I'm not sure. Um,
1: uh, I don't know. I might have missed that one.
0: And quality Polzo, best Danish sausages. Uh, yes, I did have did that have one, one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there was there, as you say, there were tons because mm. there was that game that we saw in a recent attic rewind. I don't know if it was on a Big Match or something like that, and it was it was at Anfield, and all they literally all they had was Hitachi and Someone yeah. else like repeated three times around the, around the ground. Rubbish. Rubbish effort. Get your acting gear Anfield. <laughs> um, other things that uh, I spotted on this um, apparently, Glenn Hoddle was supposedly recovering from a kick in the kidneys sustained at Liverpool the previous week, according to Motson in his introduction. Uh, Half time, we see a banner in the crowd that says, Our Nicholas is no Charlie Pete's Brill, which is a reference to Peter Nicholas. Uh, slash Charlie Nicholas. Um, a quick sight of the electronic scoreboard at the end of the stadium, which I, I love seeing electronic scoreboards. If I could change one thing about modern football, I'd ditch all the video screens and bring back electronic <laughs> score at, at a stroke. I wouldn't even think or hesitate about it. Um, uh, at um, 12 minutes 38 in the video, we see Brian Steen hitting the side netting with a shot. After which a boy in the crowd can be seen giving him the middle finger, which was um, <laughs> nice to see the, the the good old juicy middle fingers and, and double fingers, still very much the uh, the mode thing in in Britain at that point. And um, at the end of the game, two Spurs supporting Herberts run onto the field. Uh, one in a stupid blue bucket hat, which shows uh, who shows it. <laughs> he, he shows encouragement to Graham Roberts. Uh, the other one's wearing a white top, pale blue jeans, and white trainers, looking for all the world like a Burton shop window dummy. Um, very odd seeing sort of fans running onto the pitch. And you just when you've been watching modern football for a while, it still sort of jars a little bit there. Um, other than that, quick summary of the game: uh, Brian Steen put the ball in the net early on, but was given offside. He's offside; it won't count, according to John Motson. Uh, he felt the need to tell us that three times. Um, John Chidosi cut in from the right into the penalty area and he unleashed a shot that was so staggeringly wide for the right of the goal that it made me laugh out loud I don't think I've seen quite so bad a shot in all my life um, Luton goalkeeper Les Sealy took a goal kick but the camera didn't track him as he was doing it and so he basically runs out of shot briefly and then the cameraman suddenly wakes up and thinks oh yeah I've got to watch him haven't I um, well, I've got a job to do here <laughs> yeah, that's right He's probably reading the Daily Mirror at the time or something um, we see uh, Priest playing a free kick to Peter Nicholas, and his shot hit the bar. Brian Steen tried to chip Ray Clement, Clements, but um, he only succeeded in finding the upper tier of the stand in the goal behind uh, Behind the goal, I should say. Um, after the halftime break, Steen scored from close range to make it 1-0. Crooks was twice denied from close range by Les Seeley, uh, and Mark Falco equalised from just inside the Luton penalty area. That was his 21st of the season. Which made it one all. Unwa Joby scored with the outside of his boot to get the ball up into the stanchion, Uh to make it two one to Luton. Uh, and uh, Graham Roberts scored in injury time to get a second Spurs equaliser that made it two two. And Steen could have won the game late into injury time, but he blazed the ball over. So uh, two two it finished that game. Um, did that was that interesting? I know you don't often like watching the actual
1: football element of this, <laughs> Rich, but I mean. Well, well I, I do love a game with sort of lots of last-minute changes. So yeah, it was it was quite exciting that was. Um, I was absolutely, even though again, it's really stupid things. Even though it's so far in the past, I have a very soft spot for Luton. Yeah. So when Graham Roberts scored, I was absolutely gutted. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. Like... Even though this happened 36 years ago, <laughs> I was still gutted by the fact that they hadn't that Luton didn't get the win. Yeah.
0: Because um... I didn't know, like you probably, I didn't know what the score was in advance, and you just sort of think, oh, Luton, the underdogs, are going to win, and then they didn't. Well, in in summing up, Jimmy Hill uh, makes the presumption that John Motton would have enjoyed himself tremendously while watching that match, before turning the spotlight on Emika Nwajobi. He's got pace and likes a dribble, says Hill, before showing us some footage of Nwajobi in action. But then it's on to match number two, Sheffield Wednesday versus Liverpool. But before that... Jimmy Hill congratulates Sheffield Wednesday and Chelsea for providing such exciting entertainment the previous Wednesday, although he doesn't go into specifics to tell us exactly why that was. For, for anyone wanting to know, it was the 4-4 draw between the two clubs in the League Cup quarter final replay on January the 30th. In it, Wednesday were 3-0 up at half-time, but by the 80s, 85th minute, Chelsea were 4-3 up. In the last seconds of normal time, however, Wednesday's Mel Sterling was tripped and the resulting penalty saw the Owls getting the draw that they needed to force a second replay. Alas, for Sheffield Wednesday, that match ended in a 2-1 win for Chelsea. At this point, Hill is seen sitting in front of a TV screen displaying the Sheffield Wednesday and Liverpool club badges, the latter of which looks particularly like something that had previously appeared in the gallery section of the BBC's Take Heart programme and into the second match we go and at last we get to hear the dulcet tones of barry davis for the first time on this podcast
1: here's the man who last wednesday kept his head when all about him were losing theirs mel sterland saved his team's face from the penalty spot against chelsea and now an unchained side can give answer to just how much almost losing from a position of three nil up has shaken their faith
0: were you delighted and thrilled by that
1: Uh, yes. (laughs) I I definitely noticed it was Barry Davis. I definitely wasn't already looking at sponsors around the ground. (laughs) Actually, I was feeling dizzy by this point because they showed the the cop end of Hillsborough. This is the days before it had a a roof on it. And it appears to be about 300 feet high. Yeah. And there were some kids right on the very back standing on a spiked fence holding onto a pole... And I just just looking at that made me feel really nauseous because it was like and then they panned down. You could see how high this thing was, yeah. and you're thinking, this is mental, yeah. you know it's like yeah. it's health and safe to go mad these days, but you know, stopping kids standing on a spiked fence three hundred feet in the air sounds like a sensible idea to me. I know it's absolute madness. It was just like a wall of people just like going yeah. off up
0: to heaven, basically just like miles high. We see the uh, team lineup captions in the traditional diagonal layout with team badge to the right of the screen. In Sheffield Wednesday's team list, Brian Marwood's surname has been stuck on a little bit too high, suggesting that the caption maker had perhaps had one too many vodka and tonics in the BBC bar that evening. Um, what names leapt off the team sheets on this one, Rich, out of Sheffield Wednesday in Liverpool? I mean, Liverpool, you can pretty much name anybody, can you really?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, uh, John Barnes, <laughs> <laughs> not quite, uh, no, not, quite. not. not, not really, no, I know. um, I was going to make a joke there saying, cause you said about Marwood and I was going to say, had you been drinking with, with no, hey. hardcore <laughs> fans might get that reference, <laughs> um, Obviously, yeah, Liverpool's got like your old people like Rushy. Mm-hmm. I did make a note about that. One of, I think the only note I made about the actual game itself was the fact that Rushy missed a sitter. Yes, um, like almost on the penalty spot to the side, but then he sort of spooned it into the crowd. <laughs> um, and there's there's a, a word that's not used as much. It should be spooned. spooned. <laughs> yeah, quite right. Let's bring back spooned. Yeah, timers. Uh, not in the not in the cuddling sense, no, but no. in the getting something very wrong sense. <laughs> um, yeah, so there were teams. There were players. There were players on the
0: teams. There was uh, Mick Lyons that made over, f- or nearly 400 appearances for Everton uh, before he switched to Wednesday 1982. Uh, Nigel Worthington, future Northern Ireland uh, captain and manager. Lee Chapman, um, husband of... Uh, what was her name? Tracy Chapman. With a fast car, Tracy Chapman. (laughs) (laughs) Her out of um, uh, Leslie Ash.
1: Is it Leslie Ash? Oh, yeah. Yes, that's right. Fish lips.
0: (laughs) Trout pout. Yeah. Yeah, he was. It
1: was Tracy Chapman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, much was made of um, Kevin McDonald of Liverpool, who I vaguely remember. I remember him from my Panini sticker uh, collections and stuff. I did some research, and it was one of those ones where you think, I'm sort of. Wish I hadn't now, because basically Kevin Macdonald, he was a Scottish midfielder. He'd already spent eight seasons at Leicester before he joined Liverpool. Unfortunately, he only played 40 matches across a five-year period for Liverpool, partly due to injury. And um, he ultimately joined Coventry City in 1989, which I can't say I remember. Um, After that, he had a two-year stint at Walsall to close his playing career. Uh, and like many other players we've seen today, he later went into management, becoming the caretaker boss at Aston Villa when Martin O'Neill left in August 2010. But unfortunately, he became the subject of an accusation by a former Villa player, Gareth Farrelly, in 2018, which suggested that McDonald had been relentlessly negative, close quotes, towards him during the 1990s, and was, quote, incredibly aggressive with constant verbal and physical bullying. Aston Villa carried out an internal investigation and found in favour of Farrelly, leading the club to apologise to those former players who had given evidence throughout, and McDonald was dismissed in August 2019. Didn't know he had that sort of latter chapter in his life, but uh, not very pleasant. Uh, means when you watch this game, you're sort of thinking, you're a nasty piece of work, and <laughs> well, I wouldn't have done that if it weren't for this podcast. Yes. But yeah, uh, Ian Rush, Kenny Dalgleish, Loro, all the rest of them, Bill Groblar, he was in goal. Um... And uh, Joe Fagan, who's uh, uh, going to be announcing his retirement only three months after this match, um, and yeah, this was a sort of Liverpool team in transition. Really, you got well, Graham Sooners had left; he'd gone to Sampdoria, and then we're seeing Paul Walsh, John Walk, Kevin McDonald. So, new players coming into the Liverpool team, maybe the beginning of the end, possibly for Liverpool in in that period. Um, The referee was Jeff Bray of Hinkley in Leicestershire, of whom I could find nothing on the internet. So it's uh, well done, Jeff Bray. You've managed to remain definitely unfamous. And the kits, Rich. uh, Sheffield Wednesday in Liverpool. What are we making of the kits?
1: Uh, Sheffield Wednesday with that kind of classic mid-80s, classic mid-80s Umbro kit. So a nice sort of standard V-neck and the sort of classic width stripes on it. Uh, very nice um, Liverpool to me I think that pinstripe kit is looking a bit dated now um, by this point especially with the sort of thick V-neck on it mm. um, and especially what would come the season after which was just the best Liverpool kit ever 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 so <laughs> yeah so there yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. it bugs me because I think the Crown Paints logo is just like written in normal font it's not mm. their actual logo yeah and that's all that always bugged me that did
0: it did me just too yeah. look right yeah um, yeah the thing this I think this was the Sheffield Wednesday kit that they were wearing on episode two of Whetting Rewind where we were seeing them in 87 I think it was the same kit mm. but they had um, the short I didn't mention the shorts last time they've got like curved corners on the shorts which I don't think any yes, other team has
1: that <coughs> yeah no, they look really weird yeah that's kind of look like um, the sort of cheap leisure shorts you'd buy down the market when you're on holiday I was going to say they look like beach shorts basically yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um and also a very um, hastily
0: applied MHS panel across the uh, the middle of the shirt for Chef Wednesday, which was their shirt sponsor. But it looked like it had been just knocked out by someone with a sewing machine, like earlier that day.
1: Very Do you know what MHS was? No, don't know. Maybe it was like a kind of like British Home Stores, but like a localized one. Malaysian Midlands Home Stores. Home stores. <laughs> Malaysian <laughs> home Stores. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of foreign investment there. Yes.
0: Um... The, uh, the ball was a Mitre Delta 1000 with the red Vs, which I had one of at the Classic. time. Beautiful football, that was. Although mine faded after a lot of use, unfortunately. But apart from that, it was it was really good. And lots more uh, advertising boards again, Rich, although not so many uh, of a Scandinavian flavour. Which ones did you did you write down there?
1: Yeah, they were disappointing. Because <laughs> for one, there wasn't 3,000 of them. Um, yeah. And secondly, they were all a bit sort of generic. Um so we got... A, one I did like was Travel Woodcock because I thought maybe Tony's bugging off already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brogy. Um, Lemsip, Bic, Red Label, CIS Insurance, Prism, Oils, Monty's Toyota, which I like. And <laughs> yeah. it, Maybe it's Uncle Monty from Woodnale. Like, yeah. <laughs> Another um, mention. Presto, which is no surprise because that was the big supermarket. Uh, they ended up sponsoring the Leppings Lane end, I think. Right. Um, Cafe Pacific... Uh, wimpy homes brookshaw don't know what they are uh Color. uh one surprise <laughs> one cellnet yes I didn't yeah. they were ran in the mid 80s future sponsors um, of middlesbrough yes uh fly, and what was to become bt cellnet which then became o2 yeah. uh, fly klm uh selcom blocks walter hesselwood uh, <laughs> and one that i couldn't quite read which looked a bit foreign in the font Mercantes or something, I couldn't mm. quite ever make it out. Because no, the sun was shining very brightly on that side of the pitch. <laughs> so a lot of the out the boards were whited out by the white balance. <laughs> Indeed so, yes. You don't expect it, you know, sunshine in Sheffield, do you really?
0: It's... <laughs> <laughs> the cameraman hadn't really accounted for that. Yes, um yes, a good selection there. I had um Heat Electric <laughs> which was always, oh, always yeah constant yeah. at the time. Gillette Contour again, and Bic Razor yeah. fighting for your attention. So the two razor yeah. blade companies, uh, Hoover, Samsung TV, Red Label. wasn't sure what Red Label were.
1: Uh, I, I didn't, couldn't work out
0: if that was tea or some kind of beer. Well, I think there was a Red Label um, brand at the time, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, I, don't well, know I know if that
1: like Red Label is like a kind of. I know that Red Label is a type of tea. But I don't know yeah. if it was a brand in its own right. Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to look that one up. Yes. Um, and
0: apart from <coughs> all of that, various other things I spotted. Apparently, well, the crowd at the on the day was uh, 48,246 at Hillsborough, the biggest of the season. Um, and at one point, you see the Liverpool end, a sea of red bobble hats, which was quite gratifying. I do like a bobble hat. Um, not on me. I just <laughs> like them on other people so I can <laughs> point and laugh at them. Um, Various flags fluttering from the roof of the main stand. I spotted an Italian flag, but I couldn't tell what the other ones were. But, um, that gave it a, sort of an international flavour, the, the stadium. Um, there was a young lad in a Parker coat uh, giving a nice double thumbs up at half time, as if to say, I'm jolly well enjoying this game. Um, still no replica shirts on the show, <laughs> although it was February, so mostly warm coats and scarves.
1: <laughs> and February in Sheffield as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: well exactly, yes. Uh, At halftime, Barry Davis says, we're very much under the moon in this match so far because we see the moon up in the sky. That was well done, Barry, for that. Um, (laughs) There were um, several future BBC pundits in this game. Um, Mark Lawrenson, Alan Hansen, Garth Crooks. They were all there, all the stars of the day. Um, There's a wonderful sight of a player going down injured. I think it was Brian Marwood for Sheffield Wednesday and play just carried on regardless. No, no one played the ball out of <laughs> off the pitch and just played around him. This guy was sort of dying basically in the middle of the pitch and it's like carry on. And that obviously that's what it was like back then. That's what they used to do. And very refreshing. It was to see, um, <laughs> it was refreshing to see people really injured and just being ignored. <laughs> and yet more Herbert's running on at the end of the pitch. Um, One of them is a kid with a madness haircut wearing a green bomber jacket and jeans who grins and waves at the camera, Uh, while another one is wearing a pale yellow sweater over a red shirt. Uh, Pale blue jeans, white trainers, very much uh, fashion conscious from that particular point in time. Yes, pale colours seem to be the thing. So uh, during the match, Dalgleish played Rush clean through, but as you say, after rounding the keeper, he skied the ball. Which it was odd. I wanted my money back. I felt like I'm seeing one of the great players of the
1: era, Ian Rush, and he, and he just skied the ball. What's going on? Yeah, you'd have. That's like a kind of like you'd assume that was a nailed-on goal for Rush. <laughs> yeah, well, I must be
0: seeing things. Um, in the second half, Alan Hanson massively overhit a back pass to Bruce Grobler, although luckily it went well wide. From the resulting corner, Mark, Brian Marwood scored from close range to make it one nil. Dalgleish hit a shot that skimmed the top of the crossbar. Brian Marwood limped off injured with seven minutes remaining and then in the 85th minute a Dalgleish free kick found Mark Lawrence, who headed in the equaliser Uh, although Barry Davis thought initially it was Paul Walsh but we'll let him off for that and um, Steve Nickel had a chance in the last minute to score the winner but shot high and just wide so in summing up Jimmy Hill admits that a combination of the pride at stake and the high wind prevented that from being a classic game he goes on to confirm that Brian Marwood's injury took the form of a kick in the back, which effect- affected the sciatic nerve in the leg, leaving him doubtful for Wednesday's second League Cup quarter-final replay against Chelsea. Never mind Brian, it could have been worse. could have been the kidneys. Um, <laughs> with that, Jim throws to Tone, who's still going on about Tony Woodcock walking out of Highbury before Arsenal's game against Coventry. Evidently, it was a masterstroke on the part of Woodcock as the replacement for him and Charlie Nicholas both of whom were considered piss poor by Don Howe, got the two goals that helped <laughs> Arsenal beat Coventry, Raphael Mead and Ian Allenson. Elsewhere, breaking news.
1: Brian Robson's injured. Um, he <laughs> Not only that, it's a dislocated shoulder. It's a dislocated shoulder. Uh, Surely not, Brian. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be a one-off.
0: Um, yeah. But he's hoping to get fit in time for England's World Cup qualifier against Northern Ireland at the end of the month. But as it turned out, he didn't. He didn't take part in that match. Didn't matter though, because England won the game 1 0 anyway. Back in the Cannon League, Gary Stevens scored two in Everton's 4 0 win over Watford, so the Toffees moved four points clear of Spurs in second. Meanwhile, Southampton are in fourth place after winning 4 0 at QBR. Serves them right for installing a stupid artificial pitch in Furs' gubber. At the other end of the table, Sunderland were the only team in the bottom seven to win on that particular Saturday and they moved above Newcastle in the process. But what Tony Gubber doesn't know is that Sunderland ended up finishing 21st at the end of the season and were relegated along with Stoke and Norwich. Thanks for raising their hopes though, Tone. In the second division, there are four teams tied on 49 points at the top of the table. Oxford, Blackburn, Man City and Birmingham. What's worrying, however, is that the drunken caption maker clearly has started to lose his eyesight as he'd managed to put the blue line at the bottom of the top six table caption completely in the wrong place. Go back and have a look. It's just way out. Not just a few mil, they're miles off. Shoddy workmanship. Um, After that, Tony Gubba appears in front of the TV screen behind him, which is now displaying the Millwall FC badge, and tells us that in Division 3, half a dozen clubs are still chasing the promotion places, among them one from the less fashionable side of London, uh, but one with an unforgettable address. Tony Gabber speaks with all the disappointment of someone who knows he's fluffed his lines, but nonetheless links successfully to a short film from <laughs> Cold Blow Lane, home of Millwall. Um, that was quite a thing, wasn't it? A bit, bit random.
1: I, I really liked this because yes. uh, they're interviewing George Graham, who is their manager at the time, and uh, he's and and I made the note not for long. Yes, <laughs> uh, and then he's the, but there's a great quote where he says, "I do miss the big clubs and the big grounds," and I've put. Says Graham with one eye on the exit door. <laughs> yes, where's Arsenal, by the way? Yeah, and then and there's a great bit where all the f- they interview a load of fans who all obviously deny there's any hooliganism at <laughs> Millwall whatsoever. Yeah, not they absolutely. Never heard of it. No. I've been coming here 37 days every week, <laughs> and I not never seen no hooligans or something. <laughs> Says one of the old guys. Yeah, bless him. <laughs> We see
0: grim-looking terraced houses sitting cheek-by-jowl next to Millwall's ground. Rooftops are plenty, a la the opening titles of Coronation Street. And Millwall manager George Graham arriving for work in his swanky black BMW. Uh, In case anyone's forgotten he was a former player by this point, we're shown a clip of Graham scoring for Arsenal in the early 70s against Leeds. We then cut to an interview Gubba conducted with Graham in the Millwall boardroom, where Graham looks forward to Millwall's upcoming FA Cup match against Chelsea. Behind him are a series of shelves, one of which contains at least 10 Rothmans football yearbooks, while another has a set of ring binders that may or may not contain details of any illegal payments accepted by Millwall's club officials. <laughs> then Gubber goes and cocks the whole thing up by mentioning hooligans. He's even got video footage to prove his point that Millwall's fans have got something of a misbehaviour problem, uh, although it seems to come from about 1977 and shows fans running onto the pitch wearing flares so big they'd give the Bay City Rollers an inferior
1: complex. To be fair, they didn't run onto the pitch. There was a gust of wind that carried them. <laughs> <laughs> they just blew on. <laughs> I didn't really realise when I first came the bad reputation the club had throughout the country, lied Graham. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, of course, mate. And that's as good as the Arsenal Men guy who did not see it. Sort <laughs> <of the thing. laughs>
0: to show that some of Millwall's fans are not hooligans at all, Gubba interviews a man who looks like the Billy Perm character from The Far Show, who says, <clears throat> Fans are as good as gold, darn ear. You get loyal supporters, darn ear. Not one week. Miss a month. <clears throat> I think that's how he said it. Um, it are literally... <laughs> we see the same man's young son who appears to be supping on a plastic cup full of Jack Daniels and Coke. And the man assures (laughs) us that he's all right and not in any danger whatsoever by being among possibly the most disruptive set of fans in Britain. An older man says he's been coming to Millwall week after week for 37 years. And he says he can remember when there was a little bit of hooligism, (laughs) but it's not general. It's a good club. To back up this view, we see a silver salver awarded by Hull City to Millwall for having the best supporters in Division 3 the previous season. Why? Why would Hull City give an award to another club?
1: Not the Football League, My Hull name. City. Bit of money somewhere. Oh, dear. <laughs> Brown envelopes. <coughs> <laughs> and look how smart the players look.
0: They're mm. all now being made to wear blazers and grey slacks prov- provided by a generous supporter. That was a bit creepy. Um...
1: You we- spent two and a half
0: grand on them.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> far too much. Far, far too much. Two
1: and a half thousand pounds back in the 1980s. Uh, That's uh, nuts. They
0: didn't look anything special, did they? In any in any shape or no. form? No.
1: They spent a moss Bros. <laughs> or Ciro <Citerio. laughs> Oh, yes, yes. God, God I've known that name The Ties one, from Tyrax and the Sucks Shop. <laughs> Oh that's a classic. Uh, if you want nineties references, Good come here. God man, where do you get this stuff from? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. This is this <laughs> is the thing you see. I cannot remember anything useful in my life. Just crap's shop brands from the nineteen nineties. Uh that that's just cut me in half that is it's
0: incredible. <laughs> 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 Oh, that's going to make me
1: chuckle for next week. I think I've got to look them up now because I've got oh, to. See, they're, they're not still going, are they? Oh, I, I doubt it very much.
0: Only inside your <laughs> yeah. head, but that's no bad thing. Yes, um, I wouldn't
1: be surprised if there's no information at all. <laughs> oh Dun Co. Oh, there we go. Man at Dun CNA. Co was a well-known British chain of menswear retailers. Uh, it does mention Sirius Terrio somewhere. Oh, What's where, that then? You carry on. Oh, I will. I'll carry thing. on. Shall so, like, I? You carry on as well.
0: Uh, we get some footage of Millwall's game against Newport County that afternoon in which Dave Kusack opened the scoring with a header and was immediately congratulated by a very young John Fashionu in his pre-Wimbledon days. Kusack later added a second goal to win the match. With that, it's back to the studio where we see Millwall lying sixth in the Division Three table, 13 points behind leaders Bradford although they'd go on to close the gap to four points by the end of the season and gain their much stride for promotion to Division 2. After a look at the top of the fourth division table, we get the Pools news and with 10 score draws and 5 no-score draws, the dividend forecast is fair. Telephone claims are required if you think you've won, so don't bother with those pesky telegrams. Finally, Tony Gubber tells us that all four teams at the top of the Scottish Premier Division won that afternoon, including leaders Aberdeen, who beat Dumbarton. We're shown the goals from that game, not to mention a very eye-catching white and yellow kit for Dumbarton. And on one of the advertising boards, there was the old Nike logo. In 1985, that was very rare indeed. And up in Scotland as well. Uh, Oh, and the commentator was Archie McPherson. First mention for Archie McPherson. He was good. And to close the programme, Jimmy Hill gives us the result of the Goal of the Month competition for January 1985. And the winner is David Phillips of Manchester City. We see his goal, a close range volley, which was scored against a Wimbledon side wearing a very rarely seen away kit of white shirt, red shorts, and socks. Did you see that, Rich? Uh, no. Um, yeah. Very I odd. Didn't. I don't think I've ever seen Wimbledon mm. wearing white, red, red. It's just uh, strange. No. There it is. Um, much more than that we can't see as the footage is a little blurry. And then we get to see the actual postcard sent in by the winner, Philip Jordan of 9 Wishaw <laughs> Close, Shirley in Solihull. I've checked, it's a very nice little house, and ideally situated for several local schools, the Nature Reserve up the road, and a shop that has to be a contender for the worst-named small business in Britain, a cake makers called For Heaven's Cakes.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's just... That sounds like you can only have them when you die. (laughs) For Heaven's Cakes.
0: it didn't exist back in 1985 by the way that's it exists now down the road from where philip jordan lived anyway
1: unlike unlike serosoterio yes <laughs> well uh Ciro update folks yes. uh right Based in Birmingham, uh, they actually went into administration in 2001, I think ceased trading completely in 2003, oh. but they had, um, uh, around about 2001, which is when they started getting into trouble, they had grown after they had acquired brands Dun & Co, Horn Brothers, Oakland, and The Sweater Shop. <coughs> Dun & and they Co. And they had some high-profile sponsorship arrangements with cricket and football clubs, including Aston Villa and Nottingham Forest. Good grief. It
0: can't They can't have been the main shirt sponsor, but... I'm guessing no, somewhere. I think they
1: probably did like the leisure wear or something.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for that update. That's filled a much-needed gap in my life. <laughs> you can go to sleep happily now. <laughs> a much-needed gap? No, that's a much... I know, I know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> a much-needed fill of a gap. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what I meant. Um. So, anyway, well done, Philip Jordan. You've won
1: £100 in premium bonds as your prize. Spend it wisely. See... I thought that, and I thought, God, 100 quid back in the 80s. That must be loads now. And I looked up, and it's about £288 now, so it's not really loads. And, and
0: I bet he's never won a big prize on the premium bonds either. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that's, unfortunately, where the video ends. So we don't get the closing comments from Jimmy Hill, though my guess is it said something like, can anyone stop Everton <laughs> from winning the title? Uh, on today's form, Tottenham and Liverpool have still got it all to do, or something like that. That's what he usually <laughs> said. Uh, no closing theme tune either but uh, we all know how that goes so we're not missing much there either and and that's it Rich um, your closing thoughts on this episode of Match of the Day
1: Uh, it was nice to see um, something from the 80s so I can kind of relate to it (laughs) because the 70s just didn't exist as far as I'm concerned I think it's all a government conspiracy (laughs) nothing existed before I was born Uh, therefore it's all lies (laughs) like the fossil record (laughs) I, I tried my best and the and the, uh, the Patreon supporters
0: chose this one 1985 um, but like I said I think before from about 86 onwards it starts sort of going over to live games so it's going to be tricky you know if I could find a, 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 an episode of Match of the Day in this sort of format from 86 onwards I would gladly provide it for you Rich but I, I suspect that it doesn't exist it's just live football matches after that boo boo But anyway, there we go, 1985. Hope you all enjoyed that one, and hope you watched along as well. Listeners, if you want to dive back into the archives and see some classic old match-of-the-day action, uh, we hope we facilitated that for you suitably well. Uh, And that's pretty much all, really, from this episode of the Football Attic Rewind. But before we go, quick reminder, £3 a month on Patreon will give you instant access to the podcast once each episode goes live. So, you know, drop us a coin in our cap if you can. That would be wonderful. Uh, all the details you need are at <laughs> patreon.
1: In our ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. All the details you need are at patreon.com/football attic but if you want to drop us a line and give us your thoughts on this episode you can do so at twitter.com/football attic or facebook.com/football attic and uh, we look forward to hearing from you but um that I think is that. Uh Rich,
1: lovely to talk to you again. And you?
0: Sorry, I didn't realise that was. Stuff. You, you recognise the name Rich, don't you?
1: And you, Chris. Yes, <laughs> and you, Chris.
0: Bless him. He's not been well. Ah, uh, no. Don't make exactly. fun of him.
1: Don't mock the <laughs> afflicted.
0: <laughs> no, I hope you feel better soon. Anyway, and um, and you're, you're you're back in full health again very soon. And uh, listeners, stay well.
1: Wash your hands. Wear a mask, etc. And uh, until next time, hands, face, space, and what? Hands face space. Hands that's face space. The government advice. heads, face hands, space. And <laughs> do you wanna go higher or lower? Wash your heads, touch everyone's face, and invade <laughs> their space. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <coughs> uh, and it's
1: goodbye for me. That's I think that's who I was gonna be. At the start of the podcast, I was gonna go and I'm Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> <laughs> oh right, okay. And I've completely forgotten about it. <laughs> I'm glad you remember just in the nick of time. <laughs> Before
0: the music faded. Uh, yes. Sorry. Well, listeners, as I say, stay well and uh, hope you will join us again for episode six of the Football Attic Rewind. But until then, from myself and from Rich Johnson, it's goodbye to you all.
1: Goodbye. Bye.